2020 started out with a lot of optimism, didn't it? I remember a lot of things coming in the mail as a pastor where different companies are trying to sell you their products for uh, being able to do things on your screens and whatnot. Everybody had something really creative like 2020 vision, help see your clear future, you know, 2020 getting in alignment, 2020 it's bright ahead, you know, all of these different things that were coming through. And now that we're coming to the close of 2020, we go, well... That was cute for a couple of months anyways, and we're all optimistic, maybe perhaps apprehensive about what is next, like what exactly does the future hold? What are we supposed to even prepare for? Because when you think about it, there's no way any of us could have prepared for the type of year that we've had, so how are we supposed to prepare for what is next? What are we supposed to do in our lives where there's so much uncertainty about the future. So let's go to the scripture today and let's answer this question as we learn how to prepare for what is next. Over these past few weeks, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Luke, and we're going to end this series lasting impact today by going through Luke chapter 3, as we're going to read most of Luke chapter 3, dealing with the life of John the Baptist. If you'll remember last time that we uh, had a service on Sunday, we went through and we talked about uh, his father, uh, Zechariah. And we talked about how he was uh, a man who was a priest and who John was born and uh, Zechariah the priest couldn't speak during the time uh, that John uh, was actually in his mother's womb. And then when he was born, God miraculously opened up his mouth so he could begin to speak again. He praised God, and then we read about the birth of Christ, of course, as we did over uh, Christmas Eve, and now we're going to go to talk about John's life a little bit here today. So Luke chapter 3, let's read the first six verses. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, the tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis. I'm just going to go with it, okay? That sounds like a disease. And, <clears throat> and Lysianus, the tetrarch of Abilene, which makes me think about Texas, um, during the high priesthood of Ennis and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So Luke opens up this portion of his writing by dealing with some specifics about the Roman government that's in place. He names five Roman officials, and he wants his reader to understand the specific timeline and what was happening, and that's why he named those specific rulers, so you would kind of get an understanding of exactly what was going on. And so to us, what we can learn about this is that the Jews were living during this time in their homeland, but they weren't living under Jewish rule. No, they were living under Roman occupation. So that means they were paying taxes to Rome. They were living under Roman rule. They were living under all of the Roman ways of thinking. 
That's why a lot of those people were even growing up uh, speaking both Hebrew and speaking in Greek because here they are uh, with this Greek-speaking people. And so the religion and way of living of the Jews was tolerated by Rome. So Rome didn't get too upset about that really at the end of the day. They just wanted the power, the land, and ultimately the money. So they weren't throwing too big of a fit about their religion and their customs and things like that. They kind of tolerated it. But at the same time, uh, the Jews were longing for autonomy, for their promised land to be restored to them. So here are all these people that now John the Baptist appears, and here he's preparing the way of the Lord. He's, He's preparing the path for the coming Messiah, and he's preaching, as Isaiah prophesied, this voice crying out, excuse me, in the wilderness, and he's preparing the path of the Lord so that people will truly be ready for what is coming next. But the heart of the Jews was that their land would be restored to them. So this was a less than ideal situation. This wasn't what they wanted. This wasn't what they were looking for in the sense of how life should be. They thought this isn't fair. We're living under this Roman occupation, just like we think things that are happening in our world are not fair, things that are out of their control. And they're having to learn how to live, (coughs) excuse me, in a society where things are less than ideal and things are out of their control and they don't really know what to expect next. They don't really know what all is going on. But what they do know is that what is happening is not truly the best and they want change. And I think that sounds a lot like us. Wouldn't you agree? There are things happening in our world that are less than ideal, that are beyond our control, And we really want change. We want something to change. And we're optimistic and we're hoping that something does change. We're hoping that 2021 will be better. Some of us are just waiting so that when we can actually see 2021, we think that's going to be the page that is turned and all of the wrongs will be righted. And and we're optimistic. Maybe we're a little afraid. Maybe we're apprehensive. But we're hoping that 2021 will show us some better days ahead than what we saw in 2020. But to prepare for what is next, here's what we have to do, church. We have to listen to what God has already said. When it's coming to preparing our hearts, preparing our lives for truly what is next, we have to say, what did God already say? What has he already promised? Because that's where Isaiah's prophecy is now coming forth in this day to where they were looking and saying, what has God already said? That's going to be part of preparing for what is next. Here, Luke is quoting the prophet Isaiah concerning John about the promised Messiah. He is reminding the reader that the people that uh, that, that are being ministered to, that God wants them to be expected, that God wants them to be prepared for what he said would happen. There should be an excitement around that. There should be energy around that because they should be hoping, trusting, knowing that God is faithful, that what he said he's going to do, he's going to do. So what has God already said? That should be something that I'm looking forward to. So let's keep on reading and see what else Luke writes about John in verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. That's a way to get a crowd. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. 
For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to him to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also came to him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptized you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn away with unquenchable fire." So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, and he locked John up in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, "'You are my beloved Son.'" With you, I am well pleased. So as we look at this and we see exactly what John was preaching and what people were responding to, he was preaching to them a pretty hard truth. He was trying to remind them of what actually mattered, what was most important. He actually takes it all the way back to the Garden of Eden by calling out their sin, saying, you brood of vipers. And he's likening them to being sons of the serpent, sons of that serpent in the Garden of Eden. He's saying, you're basically children of that serpent with the way that you're acting. You're not bearing fruits of someone who is expecting God to move and expecting God to fulfill his promise. You're actually living in step with what the the enemy did in the garden. That's who you're actually living like and acting like and behaving like. That's the type of fruit that you are living. That's the type of stuff that's coming out of you. And they're putting their security in the fact that they're children of Abraham. So they think just because I can trace my family lineage back to Abraham, that means I'm okay, I'm good. I can do whatever I want, I can live however I want, and I'm just gonna do whatever serves me best. And they think that that's the way that they can live, just simply because they're children of Abraham. And John lets them know real quick, don't put your hope in the fact that you just can trace your bloodline back to Abraham, the one that God had promised that he was gonna be a father of many nations. Don't just put your hope in that. He said, because actually the ax is actually gonna be laid to that tree, if that's what you're thinking. He said, God could raise up sons of Abraham out of these stones. In other words, it's not just about the fact that you're secure in your past or secure in what you've done or secure in who you are because of your family history or because of the things you've checked off. You see, these people had become weary in well-doing and they had forgotten who they were. They've forgotten to be earnestly expecting. They had forgotten what it was that was truly to be promised to them, and they were living their lives very disconnected from the God who had called them to be set apart. 
God called the, the children of Israel to be set apart no matter what was happening in the culture, no matter what was going on. It didn't matter if they were living under Roman occupation. It didn't matter if things were going their way or not. They were still called to be set apart. They were still called to be his chosen people. And they were not bearing fruit of being the chosen people of God. And John said, hey, these rocks could be children of Abraham. And these people, they were cut to the core with this, and it brought them to a place of repentance. I mean, even soldiers are asking, even tax collectors. These guys are saying, what do we do? What do we do? And he's telling them, listen, stop doing the stuff that is not honoring God and start living this way instead. He was baptizing them unto repentance. And John was sent to prepare the way, as Isaiah prophesied, for Jesus' coming. John was calling people to repent, yes, from their sin, yes, from their wrongdoing, yes, from their bad fruit that they were bearing, but the reason that they were bearing bad fruit was the true call to repentance. And what he was really calling them to repent from was from their lack of living in expectation that the Savior was coming. They had forgotten they had forgotten who they were. They had forgotten what God had promised. And they weren't living expectant lives. You see, John was calling them to repent and live in a way that shows fruitfulness of a life that is in expectation of God fulfilling his promise. Because if I really believe that God is faithful, and I really believe that what God has said is true, it's going to change the way I live. Amen? It's going to change the way that I navigate the culture I may find myself in. It's going to change the way that I live my life day to day, even when things don't go my way and things were really not going their way in their day and time. And so you and I need to realize what God has promised, what God has said is true, and we have to quit relying on what we've done in the past, and we have to renew our passion for today and prepare for what God wants to do next. So many people are living in the security of the past. They're living in the past of the fact that, you know, oh, well, I've said a prayer, or I've gone to a Bible study, or I was baptized, or I went through a class, or whatever the case may be. I know all the right answers if you were to ask me. And John knew all these people that he was addressing knew all the right answers. They'd been trained and brought up in knowing the right answers. And they were relying on the fact that, hey, we're in Abraham's lineage, we're children of Abraham, right? And they were boasting in that. And John just calls them out and says, you brood of vipers. You guys are actually sons of snakes. Jesus said the same thing to uh, the, the religious leaders of his day. And he said, you have to bear fruit, verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He said, don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Don't rely on the past. Don't rely on what has been done Instead, you need to be earnestly looking for what God wants to do next and renewing your passion for that. That can be difficult to do in the middle of the challenges that we face in our lives. There's a lot of things that want to knock you out and want to knock you down from earnestly expecting, from living life in a way that pleases and honors God. And you can very easily get disconnected. Man, what an opportunity to get disconnected from what God wants to do in the church, in your life, in your family, than 2020, because there are ample opportunities for us to feel sorry for ourselves, ample opportunities for us to get angry, ample opportunities for us to have our focus shifted onto things that we can do nothing about. Did that happen to you at all this year? It happened to me about 20 or 50 or 100 times to where I would get distracted about 
just things happening in the world that I had absolutely no control over. And my emotions would get involved and my thoughts would get involved. And then I, I, I hated this feeling of powerlessness and I wanted to do something and I wanted to just, just, just cause change. I wanted to you know, reach through the television screen. I just wanted to maybe fly to Washington, D.C. I just wanted to grab someone and just shake them and say, stop, right? So many moments where there's just been a lot of anger and a lot of pent-up frustration because we can't really change other people and we can't change necessarily the culture that we live in. And we turn on the news and we see, wow, disappointment after disappointment, cities being burned, people being shot, um, people being divided and polarized, and churches being divided. We see so many difficult things happening, people struggling with depression, all of these things. And it just shows us that we've gotten our eyes off of what God has already said. We've gotten our eyes off of it because we've gotten too caught up in the concerns of this world. And yes, we should be aware of the things happening around us. Yes, we should be uh, concerned about our fellow man. And we should want to share the love and truth of Jesus Christ with them. But what we shouldn't do is allow our focus to get us off of the mark of staying focused on what Jesus has already said and letting our hope rest in that. Because if our hope rests in what men do, if our hope rests in what the government does, if our hope rests in what the economy does, then we're putting our hope in the wrong things. And I need to quit relying on the past. Yeah, maybe things were easier last year. Maybe things were easier at a different period in your life. Maybe things were a lot less stressful. Maybe you look back on that and you wish for the days of yesteryear to come back. Oh, I wish we could, you know, you hear people talk about former presidents and things like that, and they go, oh, man, if we could just have a president like President Obama back, or if we could have a president just like Ronald Reagan back. And you hear people talk about the Reagan days. You hear people talk about the Obama days. And regardless of what side of the aisle you may be on, it doesn't matter. People talk about that as if that's what we need back. We need something else in the past back. And we think that about church. We go, oh man, if church could just be like the way it used to be. Oh, I remember when we used to do this and it used to be this way and it was great. Oh, I remember back when, you know, our family used to do this and do that. And so we grasp at all these things. And what are we looking for? We're looking for our hope in something from the past. And we're missing the present. We're not knowing how to cope with the present. We're not knowing how to move forward in the present because we're not trusting in what God has said. We're trusting on something that we've probably romanticized a little bit more than what it actually was and we've hyped it up to be better than it actually was because that movie wasn't that great, that restaurant wasn't that awesome, um, <laughs> and that president probably wasn't as great as you made them up to be in your minds because they're human and they have flaws, Right? And often we can forget about that when things seem to be crumbling around us. Seems to be, things seem to be very frustrating around us. And we want to control it. We want to wish for that. And that's what's going on. Here in Luke chapter 3, you've got these folks living under Roman occupation. And they're going, well, you know, uh, I hate these Romans. And I just hate the way that life is now. And this is not the way I want to be living. But you know what? Uh, at least I'm a child of Abraham. So I got that one checked off. And then John's going, no, no, no. You're trusting in the wrong thing. You're, you're looking at the wrong thing. You've gotten your eyes off of the promise. And John's trying to bring them back to being focused on what God has said so that they will be earnestly expecting. And when we quit relying on those things that we have done, then what happens is that our passion can be stirred 
for, for God today so we can prepare for what God is wanting to do next and we can live in expectation of him feeling, fulfilling his promise because my life is going to show that if I truly believe that. People get stuck in the past to where they think, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I showed up to Christmas Eve and Easter, double bonus. People think I'm good. I gave in the offering. People think I'm good. I served at the church. People think I'm good. I helped that homeless man on the side of the road. Some people think I'm good. I read my Bible three times this week, right? And we, or maybe every day. Maybe you spent an hour. Maybe you spent five hours in it every day. I don't know. But whatever the case may be, we always look to our own brand of goodness and we go, wow, look at what I've done and look at how I'm good. And we miss the whole point. People unplug, they get disconnected from things in this life that God wants us to very much continue to live in earnest expectation for because we get so focused on this world and the things we want to see happening are happening soon enough. We almost treat our relationship with God like, I tried that and I didn't get the results soon enough and I want my money back. It's almost like, oh yeah, I prayed for a couple of weeks and you know I didn't really see anything change. So I got discouraged and just said, I'm not going to pray anymore. I tried to connect, you know, in Christ-centered community, and I tried to, you know, join up in a community group and, you know, uh, build Christ-centered relationships with brothers and sisters, but, you know, it just really didn't work out the way I wanted it to, and I was really disappointed in this and that, and so I, I'm, I'm just going to give up. We give up so easy because things don't go the way I want. We give up so easy because we get disappointed. Our expectations don't get met. And it's because our expectations are set on us and not set on what God said. Listen, if you put your expectation and your hopes in man, you are going to get disappointed over and over and over and over and over again. That's why I have to trust in what God has already said. And I need to trust in Him. That's why John called these people a brood of vipers. He's likening them to be children of the snake. Because the snake was the one who deceived mankind into elevating our thoughts above God's thoughts. Elevating our value system in our way and our definition of good and evil above what God had already said was good and what God had already said to stay away from. You see, when we want to do that, we're acting just like that serpent and we're buying into that same old lie. But here is our bottom line and here's what we need to do, church. And I want you to help me share this. Living with earnest expectation for what God has promised will create a fruitful life. Living with earnest expectation for what God has promised will create a fruitful life. It will create the right kind of fruit that God wants us to be producing as people who are trusting in Him. We're living with an earnest expectation. I'm keeping it in front of me. I don't want to get distracted. I don't want to get my eyes off of what God has said because if I do, then I'm going to drift and you're going to drift. And we all have this propensity to drift. But if we will keep our eyes focused on what God has promised, fruit will come out of your life because it causes the person who is putting their eyes on Jesus to be full of faith and live in light of eternity. It causes us to live in, an, in order to please God and to stay focused on Him. So here's the question that we need to answer today in order to live a life and prepare 
for what is next so we can glorify God. What promise should motivate us to live a fruitful life in light of eternity? Because John is telling them about the promise um, of this Messiah, and we know the Messiah. We know His name is Jesus. He's come, and He was born of a virgin. We celebrated Him over this past few days, and we heard the story, and we remember that. So, so, so what's next? If, if they were to be anxiously awaiting and, and excitedly awaiting and expecting this Messiah, and it should change the way that they live, and it should change the way they prepare and what they're preparing for, then what is promised to you and I, the follower of Jesus, who has put our faith and our hope and our trust in Christ, what are we earnestly expecting? What are we waiting for? Here's the answer. Jesus is returning for His church, and we must prepare for what is next by living in light of eternity every single day. Jesus is returning for His church, and, and if, if, we, if we really believe this, it will change the way that we live because it's changed what we're earnestly expecting. You see, the fruit out of our life would be a fruitful life lived in expectation, knowing that He's returning. And I know that there are so many things in this world that could get our eyes off of that, so many things that could get our eyes off of Jesus. But if we live in earnest expectation of his return, it will create fruit in our lives. It will create the, the right kind of fruit because we are wanting and, and looking for and living in a way that we truly believe Christ is returning over and over and over again in Scripture. Let's look at the promises of God to see the fact that he promised his return. Luke 21, verse 25 through 28, Scripture says this, And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Matthew 24 and 27. Let's look at that one. Matthew 24 and 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Matthew 24 and verse 44 says, Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Hebrews 9 and 28 says this. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. 
even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Revelation 16 and verse 15, behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeps his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. John 14 verse 1 through 3 says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That's just a few. (laughs) These scriptures are promises. These promises are given to the people of God. You and me, who have placed our faith in Christ alone, who have been recipients of his great grace, who have responded to the gospel, and who have been made new, and who have been transformed, and now the Spirit of God now lives on the inside of us. And because of that, we should be bearing fruit. Jesus said either a tree's gonna be good or a tree's gonna be bad, and how you're gonna know the difference is the fruit that they bear. That's how you're gonna know. You're gonna know it's a good tree because it's bearing good fruit. Bearing good fruit in our lives comes from living with an earnest expectation of what God has promised. If we live with an earnest expectation of what God has promised, it's gonna change the way I think about time. It's gonna change the way I think about priorities. It's gonna change the way I think about my finances. It's gonna change my dreams, my ambitions, the things I'm preparing for, the things that I'm anxiously awaiting, the things that I'm longing for. It's gonna change all of that if I truly am focused on what has been promised. And church, we have a promise that Christ is going to return, whether in your lifetime or not. Whether we see it physically with our eyes and we don't, uh, before death uh, comes our direction or not, it doesn't matter. The promise is still there. And our life on this earth needs to be lived in a certain way. And our life should be lived in a way that will glorify God and that will be lived in light of eternity that everything that we do We want to make an eternal impact. That's why at Word of Grace, we say it like this. We say, we say yes to greater things because we're called to live in light of eternity. There are a lot of things in this world that are begging for your attention, are begging for your affection. A lot of things that this world wants you to say yes to. And there are even things in this world that are are good things, but then there are greater things that God has called us to say yes to. And sometimes we can be distracted by those good things. And how we get distracted by those good things is we forget about living in light of eternity. We forget that everything I do needs to be filtered through the lens of eternity. And that's why we should live with that earnest expectation for what God has promised us. That will create the fruitful life that God has called us to live because we're expecting. That's where John's crowd got off base. The people that he was preaching to, the people that he was sharing with, they got off base because they got weary in well-doing. They started trusting in the past, and they weren't living in the present, and they weren't focused on the coming of the Messiah, because if they were, they would have shown fruits of that. And they would have been people who would have been so excited to see John and hear John and know 
that this one is preparing the way that the Messiah is coming. They're, they're anxiously awaiting that. And they're living in a way that would be righteous before God, wanting to learn to, to, to please God by living a life of faith. But at the same time, we do the exact same stuff. I mean, we can criticize people from a couple thousand years back. <laughs> and we can go, oh man, those people were so dumb. Didn't they know Jesus was there? Like Jesus was coming, didn't they know that? Like, oh wow, if I would have been there, you would have done the same thing. <laughs> I would have done the same thing. And I think that in seeing how John was called to prepare the way, you and I are to be preparing our hearts and our lives, our families, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, those God has given us influence with, those that God's put in our path, we're to look at those relationships much differently than just looking at them through selfish lenses of what can I get out of this? How can I maximize this relationship for my personal benefit here on the earth? Because one day, all this stuff going on is going to be no more. One day, all this stuff is going to end. I love over in Revelation, I believe it's chapter 19, when the fall of Babylon, he says all this stuff is going to come crashing down. The musicians, they're not going to play songs anymore. People who are working at the mill, they're not going to crank out any work anymore. All the people who were buying and selling, they're not going to buy and sell anymore. It's all, it's all just going to be done. He says they're not going to come back. It's not like, you know, in the, in the bad horror movie where, you know, they thought they got the bad guy and then, oh, he comes back, you know. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's not like Babylon's coming back. It's not like this thing's coming out. One day it's just going to be done. The end. And I don't say that to make you afraid. I say that to make you hopeful, to have your faith stirred today. And my hope in you coming here today is that your faith would be stirred to the point that it would change the way you're thinking about 2021. Because 2021, when that page turns, some things may get better, and I hope they do. Some things may not. Uh, because we were all optimistic about 2020 vision. And I'm sure it ruined a lot of pastor sermons. And I'll tell you what, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what else it's done. It's, uh, it's exposed a lot of false prophets too. A lot of false prophets have been exposed because guess how you know a prophet's false? You want to know? You want to know? You want to know? What they say doesn't come true. There you go, false prophet. A lot of false prophets. But as we see that, man, we're going, wow, what's, what's going to happen? What's, what's around the corner? I don't know. Well, some people, that makes them nervous because they don't know what's around the corner. I want some sort of security. I, I, I want things to just get back to normal. I can't wait for, for normal, new normal, whatever. Who cares? The church, the people of God are called to live in light of eternity. No matter what normal looks like. No matter what your daily life looks like. It's not about you trusting God to get things back to normal because God's not going, man, I really need to help these people get back to normal because they were doing so great on their own. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter if things are going awesome or if everything starts just falling apart all the more. It doesn't matter if the stock market crashes tomorrow morning. It doesn't, it doesn't matter because you're not of this world. You're, you're a citizen of heaven if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. You see, you're living for a different kingdom and we can forget that. We can get our eyes so fixed on just making sure we have enough money for retirement, 
that we can take that vacation, that we can buy that dream house or that dream car, or that you know our kids have enough to you know be successful in our own eyes and to be able to afford things and do things, and that becomes our focus. And man, we, we just get our eyes off of Jesus. Yeah, take care of your family. Yeah, plan well, but not at the cost of you trusting in yourself and and losing living in light of eternity, because then you're just a brutal vipers. You're just trusting in yourself. You're putting your thoughts and your ways above God's ways. And Jesus is returning. I mean, he's coming back and we can so forget that. I think it becomes a bigger reality to us the older we get, maybe. We get a little bit of perspective. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter. What matters is that Jesus has promised his return. Don't get weary in well-doing. And what that means to us today, I truly believe, is don't let yourself get tired of waiting for Jesus to return because it doesn't look like he's coming on your time schedule. Don't get weary in trusting God because it doesn't look like things are going to happen by your deadline. Because you know what God thinks about your deadline? My deadline (laughs) doesn't really care. He's not impacted by that. He's not affected by that because he doesn't stop being good just because he doesn't make my deadlines. No man knows the hour. No man knows the day. I I don't know. I don't know when he's going to return. The scripture says he's going to come back like a thief in the night. And I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. And I want to live every day prepared. So when you sit down with your spouse or your friends or your family members or whoever you, you do this with, maybe you just kind of do this by yourself. And you look at the calendar for 2021 and you start making plans. Some of my friends who are like awesome planners, you had this done like three years ago, so you've already got 2021 done, got it color-coded. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> I can't look at certain people because they know I know. Um, that's great. Make plans. It's good. Nothing wrong with making plans. But have you started all of your planning with the greater things in mind? Not just, I want to lose weight. I want to, you know, pad my 401k or my savings account. I want to pay down some debt. Everybody has those types of goals. Those are all secondary things. Those are way, way, way down the list. Have you started by saying yes to greater things? Have you started by prioritizing the things that have eternal significance for you, for your family? Have you started off filtering your plans with that type of mindset and mentality? How am I going to impact eternity this year? What's, what do I need to do to strengthen my faith, to keep Jesus at the center? What do I need to do in my life? How can, how can Jesus become the center of our family? Does our family know the gospel? Do they understand the gospel? Maybe that needs to be priority number one if you're not sure. Do you understand the gospel? Maybe that needs to be priority number one. Maybe you want to grow as a, as a spiritual leader in your home that's been sitting on the back burner. Step up. Invest in eternal things. Lay up treasures in heaven where they're never going to get corrupted. That idea that you've had, maybe God's put it on your heart to do something in your community or do something at work. What are you waiting for? Do you have a plan? Are you thinking in light of eternity? 
when you look at your finances, are you starting with kingdom first? What does that look like? What does that even mean? Have you asked that question? How can I make sure that I'm stewarding the finances God has given me in a way that's going to honor and glorify Him first? How can I trust Him first in all things? Your time, everything, the gifts that He's given you, the resources He's given you, the connections He's given you. How can I prepare for what is next? Will you start by living with earnest expectation for what God has promised and trust that that's going to create the types of fruit that's going to glorify and honor God? That's how I want my family to live in 2021 and every day moving forward. And as you're having those conversations and as you're talking and thinking about those things, I want you to consider how to make a lasting impact and to prepare for what's next by starting with what God has promised. And he's promised Jesus is coming back. So Lord, help us to do this because we, we get this wrong so, so much. And I don't want to get it wrong. Oh, so many things lie in front of us, Lord, as individuals, as families, as a church, and we don't want to get it wrong. And so we humble ourselves before you, God, and we just ask you to lead us into the coming days and months and this next year, this next season. And we know there's going to be victories and things to cheer about and things to high-five about, and we know there's going to be low points, things to weep about, things to grieve over. And Lord, through it all, we want to stay anchored on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Through it all, we want to trust in you, our hope and our foundation. Through it all, we want to live in light of eternity, regardless of what it may cost me personally. I want to rearrange things in, our, in my life, in, in, in our church, in our families, as living to please you and honor you. Help us to do that, and God, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let us not get distracted to turn to the right or to the left. Let us stay on the straight and narrow path, being anchored in faith that, Jesus, you are enough. And I pray that those who have experienced pain and heartache and fear and frustration in 2020, I pray that you would just heal the wounds. Don't let those things be stumbling blocks moving forward. But God, help us to realize the wounds that need to be healed and let us trust in you as you are our comforter, you are our healer, you are more than enough. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name.